and welcome back to Oh Sweet Music. If you're a new listener, this is just the second episode of the new music podcast where every Wednesday we delve into a song inspired by an event in music history that occurred on the day the podcast is released. Um, so that sounds a lot more complicated than it is. Uh, but today you need to pick out your hand-me-down dress from who knows where. That's a wee hint and a line from the song that we'll be discussing today, if you've clocked onto that. Um, but we're travelling back in time to 1987. So on this day, the 22nd of February, very tragically, um, the famous artist, former manager of the Velvet Underground, all-round creative Andy Warhol, died of a cardiac arrest following, following um, gallbladder surgery. And... I do want to talk a bit more about Andy Warhol's death and I will do that kind of later in the podcast but first I should probably reveal the song that this episode will be delving into. So drumroll please. Um, it's quite a depressing song for a very sad day in music and you know, I don't know, creative cultural <laughs> history um, but today we'll be focusing on All Tomorrow's Parties by The Velvet Underground from the album The Velvet Underground and Nico. So obviously this is a very famous album. It was produced by Andy Warhol and Andy Warhol kind of managed The Velvet Underground during this time and made them the kind of up-and-coming band that they were during the late 60s. It is kind of it's one of the first albums that I really got into when I was young and I just think it's pretty timeless. It's still one of my favourites. I still listen to it often and I do love kind of every song on the album and I struggled to pick one um, to discuss today and I would really like to discuss more of the album on the podcast at some point but All Tomorrow's Parties did just kind of seem to be the most fitting um, with the event that occurred today on the 22nd of February. Um, but I recently read a Lou Reed biography. It was called Notes on the Velvet Underground, The Life of Lou Reed, and it was written by Howard Sounds. Howard Sounds? Sounds. Um, but if you're interested in the band, you're interested in Andy Warhol, his factory, all that kind of late 60s underground New York scene, then it is definitely worth a read. I really, really enjoyed it. And so I'm pretty keen to chat about all of this today, having read that quite recently. Um, but the song, All Tomorrow's Parties, was written by Lou Reed, the kind of main, obviously, the front man, main songwriter, main vocalist of The Velvet Underground. And it's apparently about Andy Warhol's factory, which was basically Andy Warhol's kind of big studio space in New York, where everyone from the underground kind of New York late 60s scene would gather to socialise, throw kind of decadent, glamorous parties and it was apparently the kind of creative centre um, in the late 60s with big kind of foil covered silver painted walls and became this iconic hub of, you know, like hedonism, fun, chaos, counterculture and famous kind of musicians, artists, socialites all attended, were part of the factory and it was the, just this kind of hub of colourful characters, I suppose, um, which Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground were part of. And as much as, you know, Lou Reed doesn't have a great reputation for being, you know, a very nice person, he is a great songwriter and I think he does really kind of manage to paint a strong image of 
the contracts, the, the contract, <laughs> the contrast between the most likely, I suppose, drug-induced, obviously, uh, kind of fun and euphoria of the factory and all of the kind of big events and parties there and the grimness of reality when, I suppose, you know, the lights come up or when spending time there does does end and on, you know, Monday morning you have to you have to get back to reality. And um, the song is sung by Nico, who was a German model and singer that Andy Warhol just loved and introduced to the Velvet Underground and added to the album. And her voice just, you know, paints this perfectly. And if I if I could sing like anyone, it would be her. <laughs> I just think her, she's got this kind of low, rich, German, intense, kind of haunting voice. And with Lou Reed's lyrics, it just works perfectly. Um, and it still has as much of an effect on me even listening to it today. And the first time I listened to it when I was, I don't know, 14 or 15 or whatever age. And a rock critic, um, Richard Goldstein, who put it a lot better than me, but he described her voice as perfect mellow ovals um, and described it as sounding something like a cello getting up in the morning. And I know that does sound a bit kind of wanky and pretentious, but I do think that describes it perfectly. And I don't know, it describes it in a much more articulate way than, than I than I ever could. But she has this kind of depressive drawl and it's so effective in portraying what Lou Reed is trying to convey. I mean, lyrics like, and what will she do with Thursday's rags when Monday comes around? She'll turn once more to Sunday's clown and cry behind the door. And I just think it's such a grim, grim line, but I can imagine kind of at the factory that feeling of, wonder and excitement for the weekend the kind of glamour and decadence of these parties the socializing the sex the drugs of of those kind of times um but really that all just being a kind of an antidote I suppose or a bit of a facade and when reality does come around and having to face that and deal with the kind of lows and depression and grimness that comes with those highs I think that that does just kind of convey that perfectly and although maybe not to the same extreme I think this that kind of living that kind of living for the weekend and the lows that come with the highs is something that can apply to don't know most probably most normal people not just this kind of seemingly far away um land of of Andy Warhol's factory because I think that is quite a common um, lifestyle, kind of living for the weekend, just escaping reality and then having to come back to that kind of grimness when all the indulgence and hedonism is over. And I do think it is quite refreshing to hear a song that's honest about its depiction of this kind of hedonistic lifestyle. Um, Because obviously, especially in music, it's so often completely glamorised. And although that's fun, I don't think it's always entirely realistic. And I mean, I don't mean that, you know... Rockstar should start bringing out songs called like Don't Do Drugs Kids and things like that but I just you know I, I just think it's like interesting to hear a kind of an alternative view on it on that lifestyle um, and although the, the song is really depressing and haunting it's such a great listen and one that I can kind of listen to over and over again um, and although Nico's voice like I've said it works so perfectly in the song Apparently Lou Reed wasn't happy uh, that she was the lead vocalist in it and Andy Warhol insisted she sing lead on the track 
Um, and Nico and Lou Reed did generally, kind of most of the time, seem to get along quite like each other. And they did at some point have a kind of romantic or at least sexual fling um, with each other. But Lou Reed, I mean, if you read about him, didn't seem to be very good at maintaining kind of stable even friendships or working relationships or romantic relationships with people um, and ultimately ended up kind of isolating Nico and forcing her out of the band in the end and he did the exact same thing with John Cale, Andy Warhol and most people that he worked with and maybe his kind of turning on Nico or his unhappiness with her kind of singing lead in, in the track was maybe a bit of jealousy with Andy Warhol's infatuation with her after him being so infatuated infatuated with Lou I'm saying Lou like I know and we're, and we're personal friends Lou Reed um but from his biography it is clear that I mean he obviously had his own issues but he was very kind of narcissistic controlling and I suppose it would have been interesting to see how much great music the Velvet Underground could have created if that wasn't the case and maybe the they would have kind of went on for longer and and made more music which would have been amazing but I'm not going to complain because their catalogue is pretty stellar so maybe I shouldn't complain too much (laughs) um but I do want to chat a wee bit more about Andy Warhol's death as well so Andy Warhol was only 58 when he died um of a cardiac arrest which is obviously very sad and very young and tragic um And although he died of a cardiac arrest, there are many kind of different reasons people believe contributed either directly or indirectly to his death. So the kind of main, most dramatic one uh, takes us back to 1968, where, I mean, I think most people know this story, but basically a really radical feminist writer and activist, um, Valerie Solanas, she was a frequent frequent member of the factory um, and the founder and the sole, I mean, and the sole member of an organisation called SCUM, which was the Society for Cutting Up Men, which is obviously quite intense, very radical. Um, but yeah, she was the sole member of this organisation and she wrote the SCUM Manifesto, which basically, in short, sought to completely eliminate the male sex altogether. And she sent Andy Warhol this manifesto and asked him to join something called the Scum Men's Auxiliary, which was a kind of association that was supposed to be a group of men who were sympathetic to her cause and fought for the elimination of themselves and their own sex. So it's obviously all quite, you know, intense, radical, bit Hitler-esque. But Andy Warhol lost the manuscript. If you can see me, I'm doing like quotation marks. Um... He probably did just, you know, ignore it. And Valerie, Valerie Solanas got increasingly paranoid that he was trying to steal her work and pass it off as his own. Which, in fairness, um, I think Andy Warhol was kind of known for doing to people. So it's not like an, a completely irrational assumption to make. Um, but when he kept ignoring her calls, she went to his new office, which was basically a kind of upgraded version of the factory when he became a more renowned artist and she shot him and another man um Mario Amaya who was a London art gallery owner um who was meeting with Andy Warhol I mean that's just talk about wrong place wrong time um but she shot through various of Andy Warhol's organs it was declared dead at one point uh it was revived but still spent you know two months in hospital and was forced to wear a surgical corset for the rest of his life 
to keep his organs in place, which is obviously just absolutely horrendous and so tragic. Um, and the other guy wasn't as badly injured and survived too, but obviously still not ideal being, I mean, you go to meet with someone to set up an exhibition, you end up getting shot. Uh, but Valerie Solana spent three years in prison and ended up being diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. But after the attack, um, Andy Warhol, other than the surgical brace, although he did kind of recover, I say recover very loosely, um, but he became a, a lot more reclusive. He was less creative, kind of taking on less projects, and he developed a really bad fear of hospitals. So it's kind of wildly, wildly, widely thought that when he died um, of a cardiac arrest in 1987, this could have been avoided if he just got the gallbladder surgery he needed sooner um, and hadn't delayed it, which he did due to his fear of hospitals, which stemmed from the attack. However, Andy Warhol's family also sued the hospital who carried out the gallbladder procedure for malpractice. Um, and they, I think they managed to provide evidence that they pumped too much fluid into his body during the procedure and that caused too much internal pressure and caused heart failure. And, I mean, the hospital even settled out of court, donated $3 million to the Warhol estate. Uh, so who knows what, you know, the real direct or indirect cause of his death was. And possibly it was a wee bit of both. But either way, it's just, you know, equally as tragic that such a young, talented, kind of creative man died so so soon. And, um, yeah, just very, very tragic. But... Something else that I find really interesting um, is the album that John Cale and Lou Reed created following Andy Warhol's death. Now, this this might be no interest to anyone else, um, but I'll chat a wee bit about it, just on the off chance that it is, and you guys can give me some feedback and let me know if I'm just rambling on and boring you to tears or if you actually find this stuff kind of um, interesting. Uh, but the album was called Songs for Drella, so John Cale, who was the founder of Velvet Underground and played guitar, violin, viola, like that kind of screechy violin and viola sound, especially on songs like, you know, Heroin. Um, they're all kind of part of what give the band their signature Velvet Underground sound. Well, in, in my humble opinion, anyway. Um, and obviously Lou Reed was the lead singer and song main songwriter. But when Andy Warhol died, um, John Cale and Lou Reed had a really strange relationship and they hadn't spoken in years. But at Andy Warhol's memorial service, they met and soon after decided um, to write an album in tribute to him. I mean, obviously he managed them. He kind of gave them their start as a band, even though when this album, the All Tomorrow's Parties was from, was released, it didn't do well at all and kind of did well a lot later than, than when it was released and came out. Um, and also, you know, they were part of the factory they had a very um, kind of long friendship with them. But um, I actually hadn't listened to the album until quite recently, but I personally really like it and I do find it really interesting. Um, but Songs for Della basically takes you through Andy Warhol's life, so from his childhood to the factory to being shot by Valerie Solana's his death, beyond, you know. Um, and I won't go too much into it, or I think I really well start to bore to bore people to tears. Um, but if you're interested in Andy Warhol's life, then it is a great listen. And I'll maybe chat more about it in detail in another episode if that's something people would want to hear a bit more about. Um, but Lou Reed did get a bit of stick for the album because apparently he kind of 
cut out Andy Warhol. Like he was prone to do with, I think, basically everyone. Um, so I think he kind of cut him out of his life for a bit. And they always kind of made petty comments about each other in interviews. Um, but the album is kind of film filled with like warmth, respect. You get kind of real sense of friendship and sadness in it. So it is a nice listen. Um, but even the name of the album, Songs for Drella. Drella was a nickname that Lou Reed, no, not Lou Reed, sorry, that Andy Warhol hated and people called him behind his back. And it was a mix of Dracula and Cinderella. So I'm not really sure what it's, you know, supposed to insinuate. Maybe that he's like a princess that kind of like sucks the life out of people. I don't know. But um, yeah, he hated it. So it's quite funny that even in this nice tribute to him, Lou Reed Stillman, just to get a kind of final, final dig at him, even when he's in his grave, um, which kind of shows, I don't know, Lou Reed's wee horrible, nasty streak. I say that like I know my... That's that's just from reading about him, but I suppose I'm just making assumptions there. Um, But a cinematographer, Ed Lackman, filmed Lou Reed and John Cale performing it. um, And it's quite a cool watch if you like the album. And it's on movie, so if you're interested, then I would definitely give that a wee watch. But um, anyway, I do feel like I've properly rambled on a bit in this episode. um, And... I've gone into a bit more detail on the event in music history, uh, but I do feel like there is a lot to be discussed around this. Um, and I could talk about this stuff forever, to be honest. So believe it or not, I, I'm actually trying to cut it down and be disciplined and rein myself in. Um, but I would really like your feedback. So do tell me if this episode is, you know, too long or too detailed. Um, but yeah, as always, Thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Oh Sweet Music, the second episode. I'll be here every Wednesday to chat about a song um, I've chosen, inspired by an event in music history that occurred on the date the podcast is released. So tune in next Wednesday. But as always, if you've got any feedback for the episode, any requests for any songs, genres, eras, artists, bands that you want me to cover on the podcast, then just send us a wee email at requests at hotmail.com that's ohsweetmusicrequests at hotmail.com all lowercase, no exclamation mark or drop us a wee message on Instagram at ohsweetmusicpodcast and be sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at ohsweetmusic to get involved with our episodes every week and last thing um, if you've got a wee spare minute or two then give us a review on whatever you listen to your podcast and this lets other people who might be interested find us um, but thank you so much for listening have a lovely day and I'll see you next Wednesday bye just talk to the people if you keep in love, then you'll keep yourself right. Everybody ready?